Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. It's uh, a big thanks to Dave and Nicole and Brett and Irene and Muzz and Andrew and Greg and Shaz for being here this morning to help get us online, given that the service was cancelled and everyone gets to stay at home. Uh, but these guys have turned up this morning to lead us in worship and to ensure that we um, are still connected as a faith community, uh, whether we can meet or we cannot. And so thank you, team, for being here. Um, I would have loved to have shared the moment with uh, more of you, but um, hey, good on you. Thanks for joining us and being here this morning. And I am truly overwhelmed uh, by the love and the support of our elders and our ministry team um, and you as our church family over the last um, couple of weeks. I've received many messages of encouragement and can I say often um, at times where I've needed it the most, uh, in the moments of um, as, as does happen in these times, God, you've got the wrong guy kind of moments um, and just moments where people have said the right thing or sent the right text. And I wanted to encourage you to never underestimate the power of a text message sent in obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Even in fact, so much that um, even during this service now, if you're at home or for you guys in the room, if the Lord is placing someone on your heart to encourage and to bless um, to send a text message off. Don't listen to what I've got to say necessarily um, because it could just well lift someone in their time of need. Uh, so I've got so much more in my heart and so much more that I would want to say given um, this time of transition um, than what is able to be done in this online context today. So I look forward with eagerness and expectation um, toward next year in February when I can step into this new role as your senior pastor, but I want to testify um, in this moment, in all of this, that God is faithful, that He is so kind, and that He is incredibly trustworthy. And I'm at a loss for words to articulate how grateful I am to Him. You know, he is always at work behind the scenes, working for the glory of His name and the flourishing of His church. And I can testify to his faithfulness and his kindness and his trustworthiness. And so if even that's a word for you this morning, if there's a time of transition that you're in, may I ask you to appeal to those things of his nature and character because they are proven true time and time and time again. So this morning, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about um, the petrol light on your car. Uh, I want to talk about a John Mayer song. I want to talk about a new word that I made up, and I'm going to talk about a few takeaways from a parable in Luke chapter 14. And as the series title suggests, A Weary World Rejoices, as each week has unfolded, we've wrestled with the tension that exists between a weary world on one hand and rejoicing on the other. How is it possible that in weariness there can be hope? How is it possible that in weariness there can be peace. How is it even so that when we are feeling overwhelmed and tired that there can be love and there can be joy? I mean, we could spend 
all day speaking of these things, but as we have addressed these, we could say that in short, God's kingdom is not either or on these matters. Reality and truth are not mutually exclusive in God's kingdom, but they intimately inform each other. And from the biblical worldview, the worst things appear or are, that is the backdrop for the miraculous. And so here's another encouragement for you this morning, that if it feels like it's all going pear-shaped again in your world, if the resurgence of these lockdown measures and if the stress of Christmas and the tiredness and everything that you are experiencing right now, those things don't happen in isolation to the goodness of God, but they inform, our, our situation is informed by the truth that God, His power is at work in our weakness, and these are the moments where miraculous things happen in our lives. And so I have got full faith for you and your family that over this time of Christmas, that there is rest for you. You know, I, I feel for our weary world. You know, I look around and it's weary, but if I'm completely honest, I'm a, I'm a bit more aware and in tune with the weary me. Because it's weary people that make a weary world, right? It's not just that there's all of these external things going on, but the collection of weary people is what makes a weary world. And I don't know whether it's just the year catching up with me or whether it's the crazy, chaotic and noisy nature of a four-kid household, whether it's been the constant change and uncertainty and the needing to adapt faster and faster as things change in our world. It feels like for me personally when the fuel light comes on in your car. You know how you get to that point where you take the gamble every time you get in and you think, I could just make it this one more trip? And you get in and as you're driving along, there's those kind of nerves start building going, I've got maybe five more Ks. Can I make it to the BP? I know there's a 7-Eleven up the road, but I don't like their fuel. I like their Slurpees, but I need to get myself to a BP or a Caltex or whatever your favorite servo is. Uh, you know there's just enough in the tank. But I'm running on vapors. I don't know about you. But I know to hazard a guess and suggest that the chances are that you know what I'm talking about, that this time of year often feels like the fuel light is on. And again, I'll hold to the claim that the biblical precedence shows that the more broken, weak, and in need someone or something is, the more God's power to act, to heal, and to restore is evident. And so church, I have faith for you, and if you'll have faith for me, I'll be praying for you, and if you'll be praying for me, that this Christmas, in our tiredness, and that in our weariness, these places would be the birthplace of the miraculous. The miracle of renewed hearts and energy restored would be ours in Jesus' name. Let me pray into that for a moment. Father, I pray that as the fuel light is on for so many of us, that we feel like we're running on vapors, just on the fumes of a pretty crazy year. I pray that you would step into our situations, that you would renew our hearts and that you would restore our energy in your name. Father, there would be a time of renewal in your church, as there has been and there will continue to be. Father, I pray that you would renew us over this season in Jesus' name, that we would find time for rest 
and that your rest would enter us. Father, we ask that we would experience joy as your joy enters us, that we would come back in 2021 with renewed hope, knowing, Lord, that you are up to a good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I was to ask you, what does love look like? I'd probably get a different answer from everyone. If you were to put in the comment box right now on Facebook or YouTube, as you're watching online, the answer to the question, what does love look like, there would be an entire catalogue of different answers. Some might say it looks like a hug. Some might say it looks like a well-timed gift or a thoughtful gift. Some might say that it's quality time spent with a friend or a loved one. Some might say that it's an act of service or kind words. Love, some might say, is just a feeling. Others might say that it's a decision. And as we come to Christmas and as we open the Word today, I want us to consider the question, what does love look like? Because love just can't be a theory, right? It can't be just something that we talk about. It can't just be a good idea. Love is not just an ideal that we aspire to. It has to look like something. And John Mayer said it well, and I'm not going to sing it. I sang in church a few weeks ago, and I know that my kids would be hanging out right now on the, on the lounge for me to break into song. But John Mayer penned these words, love is a verb, it ain't a thing, it's not something you own, it's not something you scream. When you show me love, I don't need your words, yeah, love ain't a thing, love is a verb. Love ain't a crutch, it ain't an excuse No, you can't get through love on just a pile of IOUs. Love ain't a drug, despite what you've heard. Yeah, love ain't a thing. Love is a verb. So you got to show, 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 show me that love is a verb. I could have sung that. Thanks, Bretto, but I didn't, and you're all thankful for it. See, Christmas is the time where we celebrate the verbaceous nature of God's love. I told you I was going to give you a word that I made up. We celebrate the verbaceous nature of God's love. Now, Christmas is when we remember and celebrate the movement of God toward and into the human story. It's a time of rejoicing that God took action. He showed in the most profound way His love. It's the time where we remember God becoming incarnate. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, leaving his heavenly estate to be born of a virgin in a manure-soaked manger. Christmas is our cue to join the chorus of angels and the historic church who exclaim together, glory to God in the highest because he has verbed his love. He has demonstrated his love. He with all tangibility and visibility, has demonstrated in practical measures his love. You know, there are so many places we could park up in the scriptures this morning on the topic of love at this Christmas time, but I felt led to speak on love from a story in Luke's gospel that gives us insight into the kind of nature and character and love of God that we can take encouragement from. So in our brief time this morning, I want us to take a look at what we can learn and take away from the story in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, and it's entitled, The Great Banquet. It begins like this, when you give a dinner or a banquet, and now I I love that uh, in moments in 
teaching where we get past not even the first word to exegete some things here, when. I love the word when. And the first thing I notice in this story, and it's not going to be a long day, I'm telling you, we're only at word one. It's all right, relax, we're not going to be here forever. Uh, The first thing I notice in this story that Jesus tells is that giving a dinner or a banquet is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. So the first look into what love looks like through the lens of this story is that God's love is hospitable. That it is assumed by nature of God's character that we would be people who host others, whether it be at our dinner table, whether it be in a small group, whether it be in conversation, whether it be with our time or with our talents or with our gifts or with our resources, that we, when, when we host people, it is assumed of God's people that we would be hospitable. God's love is hospitable. Hospitality in the ancient world focused on the alien or the stranger in need. The plight of aliens was desperate. They lacked the membership in the community, be it the tribe, the city, state, or nation. As an alienated person, the traveler often needed immediate food and lodging. Widows, orphans, the poor, the sojourners from other lands lacked the family or the community status that provided an inheritance or the means of making a living or protection. In the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's land, home, or community and providing directly for that person's needs. In fact, Jesus appears to agree as we continue on with the story. He says, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be, you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And as I read this and as I consider this act of hospitality not being for those that we love, but those who cannot repay us, that hospitality is for the alien and the stranger and those not like us, I'm reminded that the blessing of God is not found in the gifts from the rich, but in serving the poor, the broken, the lonely, and the marginalized. The God's love is inviting and welcoming of the weak. Sometimes I wonder if we get our priorities confused. Sometimes I wonder if what we celebrate is misplaced. That when we are the recipients of gifts from the rich, we may consider ourselves blessed. But I think this Christmas, Jesus would remind his church that love looks like inviting and welcoming the weak. If as Jesus followers, we don't have a predisposition to people who are unable to contribute to our wealth, status or cause, then we have the cart before the horse. Our faith will keep tripping over itself. God's love and the love he desires we emulate must be biased toward people who are broken, wounded, forgotten, lonely, poor, homeless, mentally unwell and weak. Let us never be a people and a church who love for what we can gain, but be people who love with such genuine love that gives and expects nothing in return. For then at a time to come when Jesus returns... Our, so too will our reward. 
Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to Jesus, blessed is everyone then who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, and now he rolls into a story, a parable to communicate a kingdom truth. He says, once a man gave a great banquet. And I imagine as Jesus is beginning this story, the banquet that he has in mind is of gargantuan proportions. I mean, I think you could think of Christmas lunch and times it by a gazillion, that there would be the entire spread of lobsters and then soft shell crabs. There'd be an entire tray of duck a l'orange. There would be all of the turkey and the cranberry sauce there would be the ham glazed in sticky things. Could you imagine the ribs? Just come with me for a moment. The ribs that would be on the table of a great banquet that Jesus held. Now, I know I got in trouble the other day for saying Jesus would have been eating bacon and eggs. So for all of you scholars out there who are going to be saying the same thing back at me about the meat right now, just give me some grace, okay? Give me some grace. But I can imagine that as Jesus is telling, about to tell this story, and he sets it up around a great banquet, that there is an enormous party that is about to be thrown, that people are about to be welcomed into. You know, even from the beginning here, when Jesus is talking about a great banquet, I think we can take from this that God's love is incredibly generous. You know, I don't think Jesus in his great banquet is going to have just gone past Woolies and grabbed a barbecue chook and a pasta salad and a couple of bread rolls and slapped a lunch together. However delicious that is, and we love to do that, it's a good old-fashioned thing that we do in Australia, barbecue chook and a pasta salad. But I think that the great banquet that Jesus speaks of is far more generous. God's love is generous, and many were invited And at the time of the great banquet, Jesus instructed one of his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And as this servant had have gone out, I can only assume that they have gone out with purpose and intent, not just jumping in their car and yelling out the windows as they drive past a a scattered approach of, hey, come to the party, it's now ready, but an intentional searching for those who need to be invited. And as they went out, there was many who began to make excuses. You know, the first one said, look, thanks for the invite, but I've just bought a block of land down the road and I've got to go and make sure that it's okay. He came across someone else and said, hey, the party's ready, the invitation, you're not going to believe it, the spread is enormous. Come, there's a seat for you, it's been prepared. He says, oh, actually, I've I just bought a couple of cattle down at the market and I've um, just got to go and give them a brush and check their hooves and just make sure they're going to be ready for the week's work ahead and uh, just give them a a chair to someone else. And then he comes up across a, a loved up guy looking like he's on his honeymoon, got that look about him. He says, hey, there's a seat prepared for you. The master has got a banquet that you just wouldn't believe. It's the most generous, extravagant, wonderful banquet, and there's a chair for you. And he turns back to the servant and says, yeah, you know what? I just got married, and 
I've got far more important things to do, if you know what I'm saying, than come to your dinner party, so I'll pass. And the servant came back and reported all of this to the master, and the master became quite indignant and angry and said to his service, Go, servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And then the servant turns to him and says, I've done this, everything you have commanded, and there is still room. The master then said to his servant, well, go out then again to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I love that God's love is a love that searches. You know, the intentionality of this servant would have been astounding. I think he would have walked the streets looking for those in most in need. He would have been looking for those who the world would have assumed may have been the ones to be invited to such a banquet, but walked right on by them to find the cripple and to find the beggar and to find the hurting and to find the broken and didn't shout an invitation from the rooftops but got down beside them on one knee and placed a hand on those people's shoulders who even that would have been enough to give them the dignity they deserve but yet this servant would have continued on. Hey, there is a master who loves you so much. And he has prepared a banquet just for you. He has reserved a seat at the table of this feast and you are welcome. Come with me. 2 Chronicles 16 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You know, we can take so much encouragement from the Holy Spirit that even in our own failings, when we look to the wrong people or in the wrong places, that God himself is the searching servant that is looking to the streets and the laneways and the byways of our cities and our communities. And he is the one placing the hand on the shoulders who need him most and say, come, come, come. And how wonderful it is that you and I get to be partners in that kind of ministry that we are the ones sent as servants from the banquet room to go and to find and to search, that as God looks to and fro across the earth, so to us as a church, we go to and fro searching throughout the whole earth. God's love is is a love that searches. God's love is a love that doesn't lower to the bar of lame excuses. You know, Jesus didn't call the party off just because people couldn't come. You know, he could have thrown the towel in. Well, if they're not coming, stuff them. We'll just call the party off. We're going to hop. That's it. I've had enough. I'm up, I'm up to my eyeballs with it. I've been cooking all week and I've been preparing all week and I've been down the shops and I've been slaving away over the stove and the people aren't coming, so I'm cancelling the party. But Jesus doesn't lower his bar to our excuses. He carries on the party for those who need it most. You know, I wonder at times if the excuses that we make for showing up to the invitation of God 
I don't think it impacts God as much as it impacts us. You see, the party went on. The banquet went ahead. Those who needed it most were there and received. It was the people left so busy managing their assets, so caught up in securing their wealth, so consumed by their work, so distracted by relationship in maybe unhealthy ways, they were the ones that missed out. I don't want us to be a church that miss out on the great banquet of God. God's love is a love that always has room. You know, I love that the servant had those kind of eyes to report to the master, hey, I've gone out and I've invited all these people, but do you know what? There's still room at the table. What the church needs are servants who aren't small-minded or lovers of their comfort. The church needs servants not concerned with their own place at the table, but for the empty chair beside them. I mean, there's lots of empty chairs in the room this morning, but that's not fair and just to make an assessment of how we are as a church. But friends, I would say to us, let us not ever become so wrapped up in our comfort and our place at the table that we forget about the empty chair and the room around us. There is always space for more. God's love always has room. It's a spacious love. And lastly, God's love is a love that goes and doesn't give up. A second time the servant was sent out, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You know, this perpetual call to go still echoes and resounds through the church today. That we won't rest on our laurels, that we won't get comfortable at the table, but we will go and we will go again. That God's love is a love that goes and doesn't give up. See, in Christ, God has prepared for us a great banquet. His table is chock-a-block full with platters of His peace, plates full of His love and kindness. We are invited to a buffet of beauty, a feast lined with cups of compassion, bowls, salad bowls of salvation. It is a grazing table of mercy and forgiveness. And He has laid it all down on the table for you and I, sparing absolutely no expense. In His eyes, at the time when we were far from Him because of our sin, we were the poor. We were the crippled, we were the lame, we were the blind, yet he searched for us, he made room for us, he left heaven to find us and he still hasn't given up on us. In the same way, may this be what love looks like in our lives May we love with the tenacious, extravagant, generous, hospitable, welcoming and inviting love for the weak and for the lonely. There are seats aplenty for sinners at this table, space for those who need him to dine alongside us on the spread of heaven. 
May we be in search of those in need, not waiting for them to come knocking on our door, but go banging theirs down. May we be in active pursuit of the needy. May we go and not stay. May we press on and not give up. May we always have the vacancy sign lit up on our lives. May we not be like people who had their excuses. And may we not miss out because we had no margin in our lives. May we not fill our lives up with the things that matter so much to us, but have enough margin and space in our lives for the things that matter most to God. May our property, our assets, our work, our relationships, our security and our wealth not get in the way of a verbatious life of love. May we live out just as it has been lived out by Jesus for us, with generous invitation and welcome, with resilience and tenacity, with movement and not stagnancy, with spaciousness and not stinginess, with purpose and not excuses, with determination and not defeat. For this is how we have been loved. May we show, 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 show that God's love ain't just a crutch or a drug. It ain't just a thing, but it is a verb. I invite the band to come back up and let's pray together as a church that we would be people who embody the verbatious nature of God's love. Father, we are so thankful that you made a place at your table for us. That as we have these moments leading up to Christmas... Father, to remember that you left your heavenly place and came to earth, that in fact you were the servant who walked the highways and the byways, who went out to the outskirts of towns and went to the places of inner cities and walked the streets, willing people to your Father's banquet. And Father, we are thankful that you found us and your invitation has been toward us. And we thank you, Lord, that over, whether it's been only a matter of days that we've been sitting at your banquet table or a matter of weeks or months or years or decades or lifetimes, Father, we are so thankful that you welcomed us in, that you prepared for us a heavenly feast, that you gave us a seat at the table, that because of belief in your name that you gave us right to be children at the table of our Father. And Father, we ask that now it is our turn to live out that kind of love, that we would be hospitable, that we would be generous, that we would make room, that we wouldn't give up, that we wouldn't make excuses, that we would look for those and the blessing to be found in the people who cannot repay us, Father, I ask that at this time our priorities would be for those in need in Jesus' name. Teach us to love and love well again for your name's sake and for the growth and health and life and vibrancy and flourishing of your church here on earth. Father, we give ourselves to that end this Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.